Thanks, Kylie. Morning, all. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm Peter Swan. I'm the pastor here at Glen Osman. Well, let's hope that continues, shall we? <laughs> well, I, I, I like, like to let people choose, Michael. If they want to call me Swanee, then I will respond to Swanee. If they want to call me Peter, I'll also respond to Peter. Lovely. I will respond to that as well. Uh, we're going to be continuing on uh, the series that we've started a few weeks ago, looking at the book of Philippians. Uh, and today we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3. And I'd like to start today by, by just reading it out for us. Uh, these are some beautiful words that the Apostle Paul writes to this church uh, that really seeks to encourage them. And I hope that we are encouraged as we spend some time looking at them today. Let me read. Uh, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence... If somebody else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not, do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Beautiful passage, all encouraging. Uh, there's, there's kind of pressing on, race kind of running, kind of uh, analogies and kind of words being used. Uh, and as I've, I've shared a bit, kind of one of my hopes for this series is to share a bit of who I am uh, and let you know who I am as well as part of this series. Uh, and you, you've heard a bit that I have had a bit of uh, experience in, in athletics, uh, in some of the, the less uh, recognised sports. But before I was there, uh, when I was a bit younger, I, I did some more of the traditional style little athletics events. Uh, and my favourite was kind of that middle distance running. I was a real middle distance runner. Uh, in year four and year five of primary school, I love like the 800 metres. So I wasn't the best sprinter, 
I kind of, I, I could run, but people were able to make their legs move faster than me. But once you got over that 200, 400 meters and their legs would start to tire, that's when my tallness and, and slenderness, uh, I don't know what happened to that, uh, would then kick in. Uh, and that, that was kind of my thing. So I, I remember being uh, at the start of an 800-metre race. It was kind of, uh, I'd already done the, the school thing, I'd gone to the district or zone, and then I was at the regional carnival for the 800 metres. And so it was, you know, people by this stage, they're starting to get fairly serious about this. And so they kind of, they get you to all line up and they say, you can't take your start until they let you know. And then they say, all right, you can start to, everyone has to go forward and put their foot on the line. And of course, everyone kind of jostles a bit to get there. Uh, and then the starter gets you ready and sets you off on your way. And I remember it's always a bit of a jostle at the beginning. There's always a bit of kind of arms kind of going everywhere, a bit of push and shove. Uh, until you get kind of it into a bit of a rhythm. This particular race, there's a bit of extra push and shove, and somehow, somehow in the push and shove, I lost a shoe. So my shoe must have been stepped on, just entirely popped off, and I was faced with the decision. Do I stop, turn around, get my shoe, put my shoe back on, and then keep running, knowing that that's going to cost me minimum 15, 20 seconds. And these races are normally decided in a matter of seconds. And so I can essentially rule myself out from any sort of position here uh, by grabbing my shoe or, or I can run with one shoe. Uh, and so I did that. I chose to run the race with one shoe and off I went 800 meters around the track and and I remember I was, I was doing okay um you know I was running with one shoe so a bit of a disadvantage but I think I was kind of about like maybe fourth or fifth fifth think and I was kind of coming around that that first that I'd done my first 400 meters and I was coming around the turn and uh somebody didn't know me but they were kind of from my my zone area they, they tried to they yelled out some encouragement to me I like I said I didn't know who they were they didn't know who I was but they wanted to encourage me at this moment I, I remember their words very clearly they said go the guy with one shoe <laughs> I was like that's me I'm the guy with one shoe uh, and so I got some encouragement and I was like, yeah, I am, I'm going to go. Uh, and so I kept going uh, and tried to increase my pace. Uh, I went past one person, uh, I went past another person uh, and I kept going and I finished the race. Uh, and I finished the race uh, and I came third. I, I feel like the story would be better if I came first. <laughs> but I was running with one shoe, so it cut me some slack, right? Um, but yeah, so I, I pressed on. I, I didn't give up. I had some encouragement and I kept on going. I had some adversity, uh, but I wasn't going to let that stop me. And that's a bit of the tenuous link to what, uh, to what Paul's doing in this passage. The, the Philippian church has, has met a bit of adversity. They've met a bit of, uh, a bit of jostling, if you'd like. And he wants to encourage them to keep going. He wants to encourage them not to give up and to not let themselves become distracted by what is happening around them. But I feel like I need to spend a bit of time helping us understand what's happening in this church because it really kind of, there's lots of stuff in here uh, about, about circumcision and about the law and about being from certain tribes. And I think we need to spend a bit of time understanding the context of the church in in Philippi, and really, I guess, a bit of the early church 
the early Christian church. Uh, because the early Christian church was really comprised of two groups of people. There were the Jewish Christians and there were the, the non-Jewish, the Gentile Christians. Uh, and they came together to make this new body of believers. Uh, but there was, there was some teething that had to happen. Uh, the Jewish Christians had come from a background where they had been God's special people, God's chosen people, His holy people set apart by Him. And as part of being God's special people, God had given them His law, the law of Moses. And there were certain things that they were told to do to show that they were God's people. Now, it's clear that we we make that distinction Keeping the law was not how they were God's people. You see this in the book of Exodus, when the Israelites are brought out of Egypt and they are brought to Mount Sinai where God gives them the law. The first thing that God says to them is, do you want to be my people and do you want me to be your God? They say yes. He saves them. He invites them into a relationship with him. And they say, yes, that's what we want. And he says, great, here's what that's going to mean for you. Here's how you're going to live this out. It doesn't make them his people. He's already rescued them. He's already saved them. But this is going to be what it's going to look like for them to follow God. And so they've kind of got this background. This is what they've been doing for a very long time. So much so that it's almost become culturally ingrained in terms of who they are. Things like the food laws, going to the temple, offering sacrifices and offerings, uh, the fact that the, the boys were circumcised at a young age, eight days old. These things, in some ways, started to blend from being things that they were told to do to show that they were God's people to being part of their identity, of who it is that they were. However, things have changed Jesus has come and he's turned things on their head. It's no longer about keeping the law. It's no longer about being born into the right tribe. It's no longer about being born in Israel that makes you one of God's people. We now have an ability to be one of God's people through faith, through trust and belief. And this extends beyond just God's Old Testament people, the Jewish people. And there's now this new group who are coming in, who are now part of God's people, who have no background and no experience with the law of Moses. These new Christians who want to choose to have faith in Jesus and what he's done for them, to be one of God's people. And it's causing some cultural issues. Because not only have these Jewish Christians had all these laws, but some of these laws have actually really encourage them to distance themselves from this other group, from these Gentile peoples. There, there are laws uh, which forbid them from interacting with them. Not forbid them. You're allowed to interact with the Gentiles. They were, but it, it would make them unclean. And they would then have to go and they'd have to ceremonially wash before they were then able to eat uh, or go to the temple or do these sorts of things. Can you imagine if that had been your background? If you had spent, let's say, 40 years growing up 
with this idea that there's this group of people that you can interact with uh, that are around. But every time you interact with them, before you then eat a meal, you need to ceremonially wash to be clean. Before you go to the temple, you need to ensure that you're clean and have washed that. Imagine that what it does to your identity. And then you're part of this new group, and it's like, hey, you should hang out with these people. You should share a meal with them and break bread with them. You should invite them into your homes. You should go into their homes. Hold on a second. That's, that's culturally going to be difficult. And that's one of the big issues that the early church kind of faced. And so some of the, the Jewish Christians were like, well, okay, so we're all part of the one faith community, but this is how God's told us he wants us to be his people through the law of Moses. Maybe if this group of people, maybe they can do some of those things. Maybe if they do some of the things that we do, that, that will be easier. So maybe if they can be circumcised and that can show that they're, you know, we're, we're doing the similar sorts of things. This is an issue in the early church to work out what is required to be part of the people of God. And actually, you know, it was an issue even before Paul arrived in Philippi for the very first time. Because his first missionary trip, he didn't kind of get all the way to Philippi. The second time was after there'd been a big council where they'd kind of worked out, right, they had this moment in the church. You can read about it in Acts, where it was clear that these Gentile people are now part of God's people. And it's not by keeping, they don't have to keep food laws, they don't have to be ceremonially clean. There's, there's this moment where somebody goes to a, a Gentile family's house and proclaims Christ to them, and they all go, yes, I want to believe in that. And they're like, oh, okay, uh, wh- wh- what do we do? And so they send for the Apostle Peter, who comes and who chats to them, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we want to receive Christ. We want to be part of God's people too. And he's like, well... Let me pray for you. And so Peter prays for these Gentile believers. And as he's praying for them, the Holy Spirit falls on them. Now, we're not told what that looks like. (laughs) We're not really told how that happens. All we're told is it's very clear that at that moment, God shows that these people are part of his people. He doesn't require them to be circumcised doesn't require them to follow the food laws. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, just as it did the disciples to show these people are mine. And so the church then has to go, well, if God accepts them as they are, who are we to say they've got to change? And so even before Paul arrived at Philippi, the very first time, he's going around telling the churches, yeah, no, no, Gentiles, non-Jews, they're part of this new family as well, as they are. And so we've got this context even before he's arriving in this church. And yet, he's now writing, possibly up to about 20 years later. He's been that first trip and he's continued on. He's come back a second time and spent three years with them. He's continued on. He's now in prison, possibly in Rome towards the end of his life. So a lot of water has gone under the bridge. And yet this church is still having this same debate. They're still having this same question because there's these Jewish Christians who have now come along going, yeah, yeah, we know the teaching 
and we know that they're acceptable, but surely they're like we're better if we're if we're we've got some of that you know Jewish background. If we if we've got Jesus, yeah, 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 we've got Jesus, but we also have the law of Moses. So good that you've got Jesus. That's good for you. We've got Jesus and the law of Moses. So if we were to do a scale, you'd be like here. That's pretty good, right? But we'd be we'd be up here. We're kind of the true Christians. We're kind of the the top tier. And so this thought was going through the church. And there was people that were going, well, do I need to? The Jewish people who had been accepted by God as they are, going, oh, do I, do, do I need to add something? Do I need to do something? Is there something that I need to do to add to my salvation? Something that I need to do for God to accept me, for me to be that top tier? Uh, we see this, and this is what Paul wants to write against. And he's very, very clear that, that this is just a false gospel. They've taken the truth of the gospel and they've distorted it. They've made it about the flesh. They've made it about what they can do and what they can achieve. And actually, Paul's pretty harsh because he kind of looks at these people who are saying, we're keeping the law of Moses, look how holy, look how amazing we are. He's like, if you've got confidence, if you think that you've got this covered, when do you hear my background? When do you hear my CV of Jewishness that I can bring to the table? And so he goes through it. He has been baptized on the exact day that a proper Jewish boy is supposed to be done, on the eighth day, in accordance with the law. His parents have kept that perfectly. Uh, he is from the tribe of Benjamin, so he can trace his lineage all the way back to Abraham. He is a true descendant of Abraham, one of truly the, the people that you would have no question about being God's people, a Hebrew of Hebrew. He went on to study the law. He's memorized not just the first five books of the Old Testament, he's probably memorized the whole Old Testament. And he's able to engage in, in conversations about their interpretation with other Pharisees to help people kind of wrestle with this sort of stuff. This is how knowledgeable he is about the law of Moses. He then is extraordinarily zealous for God. He's righteous in the way he tries to keep these things. It's like, you people who are emphasizing this stuff, I've done it all. And he says, yet I consider it all rubbish in comparison to Christ. All this stuff is complete trash. Actually, the word in Greek is probably not one that I'm going to say in the front of church. Uh, he, he likens all of that stuff to human excrement. So he says, all this stuff which you're saying is like makes you top tier, he's saying, that's excrement to me. That's how rubbish it is in comparison to Christ. Because when Paul knows that when he gets to heaven and when he finally is able to stand before God and God says, why should I let you be part of my kingdom? Why should I invite you into my glory? If Paul goes, well, I was baptized on the eighth day. Um, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. 
the Hebrew of Hebrews, I, I, I was a Pharisee. I, I know your law back to front. I, uh, I'm very zealous and I try and do everything I do to keep it. God's like, so? Oh, you have a relationship with my son, Jesus. Oh, why didn't you say? If he's done it all for you, that's all that matters. That's what is important. Rather than all these achievements, all this stuff of the flesh that you have done, all of that is garbage in comparison to what Jesus has done for us. And Paul knows this. He gets the truth of the gospel. And he wants this church in Philippi to know this truth, to not emphasize all these things that they can do or achieve to try and earn God's favor or God's pleasure. That's not what it's about. And if I'm honest, I think we get that. I think that we get this in Australia, in Adelaide, coming to to this text. We get that we don't need to be Jewish to be acceptable to God. No one's here, well, I hope no one here is going, should I be circumcised? Uh, I hope that's not a question that's going on. Maybe if it is, maybe come and speak to me afterwards. Uh, I'd love to have a chat to you. But I don't, I don't think this is something that we wrestle with. We don't wrestle with, should I keep the law of Moses? Is it all right that I keep eating prawns? Uh, I really like bacon. Is that Okay. Uh, we, that's not some of those the questions that we are wrestling with, right? We aren't trying to achieve God's favor by keeping the law of Moses. But I do think that we can sometimes fall into the trap that is behind this, the trap that's underneath this about earning God's acceptance, about seeking to, to win His praise, to do things that we feel like we need to add something to what Jesus has already done. Now, it might not look like keeping the law of Moses, uh, but uh, this is kind of what I think it looks like. Thanks, James, I'm going to bring it up. This is the equation that I think sometimes subtly creeps into our minds for how acceptable we are. On the top line, we have things that are, that are good things that, that we should be doing that we feel like we should be doing. So reading the Bible, praying, spending time with God. Uh, we've got doing good things, doing good deeds, helping other people, being selfless and doing things. It might even be uh, doing things around, around church. It might be painting door frames uh, poorly uh, if you're the one on the left or really well if you're the one on the right. Um, it, it might be doing these sorts of things. It might be resisting temptation. These things, we draw a line and we go, these are the good things that I'm doing. And then we kind of draw a line and then we think about the amount of times that we've sinned, the amount of things that we have done wrong, the times that we've slipped up, either without thinking about it or sometimes knowing, knowingly choosing to ignore and reject what God wants because uh, it's too hard or we just want something else. And what we do is we create a little maths equation. And so on the top line, we have all the good stuff we do. And on the bottom line, we have all the bad stuff we do. And if at the end of it, we end up with a whole number, we're like, yeah, I'm doing more good stuff than I am bad. God must be really happy with me. I must be like a top-tier kind of Christian up here. You know, you've got Christ, but I've got my Bible readings, prayer. I'm serving at church. How about mainly music? I'm, I'm awesome. I'm up here. Uh, 
you see, it's a, a subtle thing. And sometimes then we have the opposite. Sometimes if we are aware of the things that we aren't doing that God would want, and we are aware of the ways we are letting down, we're like, we haven't read the Bible months. Prayer life's shoddy at best. I don't really do much. Um, resisting temptation. I mean, that might be worth trying. Um, and so we become so aware of the sin that we then start to then do the opposite. We're going, I'm not really a very good Christian. Uh, God, God wouldn't be really happy with me. He kind of, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure where I stand. You, you see how we kind of, we make it about works. We don't make it about keeping the law of Moses. We don't make it about circumcision, but we do make it about things of the flesh. This is a false gospel. This is wrong. This is, we are saved by Jesus plus having to do these other sort of things to earn God's favor. What the Christians in Philippi need is the same thing that the church needs today. What we need more than anything else is to cling to Christ alone. as Paul himself seeks to do. In verses 10 and 11, he says he wants to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the core truth of our faith. Our faith rests solely on Christ. And what he has done. We can't add anything else to make us more acceptable. We can't earn God's favor or our salvation. We can't achieve God's blessing. Jesus has already done it for us. It is by faith alone in Christ alone. The reality of that truth, that statement that it's about clinging to Christ, will change us. It will change who we are. It will change how we live. But it won't be so we can earn favor. It won't be so that we can achieve God's blessing upon our lives. The motivation is the key thing. You see, we need to properly grasp how truly incredible the gospel is. We need to get and truly Let's sink deep within us what Jesus has done. We need to let go of our need to earn, to achieve. It's built into us, right? We have this innate desire and we have every other almost relationship or area of our life is based upon this achieving or earning mentality. And so when we come to Jesus, we try and bring that. We need to let go of that, and we need to cling solely to Christ, to his love, his grace, his mercy, and let that change who we are from our core, change our heart, and then to see that flowing out. It's not about doing these things to earn God's favor, but when we understand truly how much we're loved, we might find ourselves naturally doing some of these things. That we will want to read the Bible and spend time talking with our God. 
because we want to get to know Him and we want to be reminded of His love for us. We want to actually be in His presence. We want to connect with Him. We want to be able to find out more about who He is and be reminded of those truths that we find so hard to grasp of how deeply we are loved, forgiven, and accepted, and not based upon our actions, but just based upon His incredible love for us, His unfathomable love for us. It's a hard one, this one, because it's this whole idea of how, how, how what do we do? And I, I, I've been conflicted in this as kind of I've wanted to come and speak this to you as well, because in some ways, there are things that we're going to do as Christians. And as you look around, people are going to do things. They are going to paint door frames. They are going to turn up to mainly music because of the love of Christ in them. But they don't do those things. We, we can't be doing those things as a way of earning God's favor. That is a false gospel. We do want to do things, but not to earn. I think Ephesians captures this so perfectly. It's one of the most famous uh, verses in Ephesians. It is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, and it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is by grace through faith that you have been saved. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's it, right? That's the foundation. That's what we've got to get. We are saved by grace alone, by Jesus alone. That's what we need to be able to see. And people know that verse. But verse 10 continues, and it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God wants us to do good things. He wants us to read the Bible. He wants us to pray. He wants us to do good deeds to resist temptation. He doesn't want us to sin, but not so that he can be pleased with us because it's what's for our best. It's because he loves us. Friends, We need to grasp the gospel. What we need is what the church in Philippi did, to cling to Christ and solely to Christ. This is something that Paul himself is committed to, and he encouraged the Philippians to be. I love verses 12 to 14, because he's honest about the fact that he's still striving himself. He's still seeking. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I don't know what attitude you've had to your faith. I don't know if you've been seeking to achieve, to earn, whether you've been making things about the flesh. But the beautiful thing about Christianity is that every day, Every moment is an opportunity to turn from earning, from achieving, and to cling to Christ and to receive his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace, to reorient our lives around his goodness, forgetting 
what is behind and straining towards what is our head. This is my deep hope and prayer for us, that we will be captured by this vision of the gospel, that we will press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you for what he has done for this church in Philippi and for this church here in Glen Osmond. We thank you that it is simply by his blood and his death and his resurrection that we can have this relationship with you. We bring nothing to our salvation. All we can do is cling to your son, Jesus to cling to Christ, to know the righteousness that he has won for us. Help us to continue to press on to do that. Help us to continually choose to cling to Christ, to forget those times when we haven't, to forget the times that we've sought to earn or to achieve, to let go of our failures and cling solely to what you have done for us, to know that our salvation does not rest in our ability to do, but in what Jesus has done for us. Amen.